When Debbie and I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, mowing our front yard took no more than 10 minutes from start to finish. (laughs) And that included raking the grass. Because our postage stamp lawn was so small, we never got a dog. But when we found out we would be moving to Richmond, Virginia, we promised our four kids that we would get both a dog and a cat. And we made good on that promise. We love our dog and cat. Jasmine is a white mixed Labrador. We rescued her from the pound and she has become a part of our family. She loves to run in the lawn and is the official welcoming committee greeting us when we drive up in our car. After we had Jasmine, we were on the way to piano practice one day when we saw a sign for kittens. Well, we now have a cat. (laughs) Simba too has won his way into our hearts. Simba loves to sleep on the kitchen chairs and can be found on our beds at night. But I've noticed that dogs and cats are very different. Anytime I turn into my driveway, my dog Jasmine jumps out of her house and runs to the car, parading around as the official welcoming committee. She'll run parallel to our car until it comes to a stop. Then she barks until I open the door. Once open, she puts her front paws into the car where I begin to scratch her behind her ears. As I do this, her tail begins to wag feverishly. We enjoy the brief moments together, and it's evident to anyone watching that we share a deep bond in love. When I go into my house and walk into the same room where our cat is, (laughs) there's no evidence of love from the cat toward me. I'll make a loud kissing noise toward the cat, but the cat won't even acknowledge me. In fact, he doesn't even move. Any acknowledgement that he does give me comes in the form of walking over toward me and marking my leg with his head, which is his way of saying, I own you, pal. But then he'll go on and mark a chair. It's rather humbling to be relegated to the importance of a chair in my cat's life. (laughs) (laughs) Also, all I am to my cat is a warm-blooded furniture. Yes, they're quite different. And there's a big distinction in the way they go outside as well. When Jazzy wants to go outside, she jumps at the kitchen door and barks, letting you know she wants outside. When you open the door, she bolts out and runs into the yard. When Simba wants out, he stands by the window next to the front door. That is our signal that it's time to let the cat out. So I go to the front door, open it, and proceed to open the second screen door. What does Simba do? Nothing. He just sits there and looks outside, knowing full well that I've opened the door. After staring outside for a while, he'll look inside for a while as if saying, Am I sure I really want to go outside? Then he'll look back outside and occasionally lick his paw. I think he's checking some kind of cat watch, I'm not sure. Now, patience is not one of my greatest strengths, so I'll call his name again, make some more kissing noises, and wait some more. Again, Simba looks outside through the window and then looks at me through the open door, then back outside and then inside. He will repeat this process a few times. Finally, with no sense of urgency, he will cautiously walk over to the inner door and slowly make his way to the beginning of the great outdoors. And in the process, he'll take great patience to mark the door. Yet right before he takes the final steps to his new destination, he stops and sits. He'll then look outside, then inside, then outside, then inside, and then back up at me. This too can be repeated a couple of times, all the while I'm holding the door open and waiting. Now remember, patience isn't one of my greatest strengths. I finally get so frustrated that I end up kicking the cat out the door, lovingly of course, because my kids may be watching. (laughs) What I've learned others say I claim to be true. Dogs have masters, but cats have staff. That is why mankind has traditionally attributed characteristics such as loyalty, service, and faithfulness to dogs. But cats have acquired traits like independence and aloofness. There's a joke about cats and dogs that conveys their differences perfectly. A dog says, you pet me, you feed me, you shelter me, you love me. 
You must be God. A cat says the exact same thing. You pet me. You feed me. You shelter me. You love me. But concludes, I must be God. This difference between cats and dogs is very similar to how Christian theology is being lived out today. We call it dog theology and cat theology. Dogs say, Lord, you love me. You bless me abundantly. You gave your life for me. You must be God. Whereas cats say, Lord, you love me. You bless me abundantly. You gave your life for me. I must be God. Did you know the little G in God? Please note that cats or people in this theology never really quite say, I must be God with a capital G. They know it would be politically and biblically incorrect. That's why pure cat theology is never taught from the pulpit, and it's never sung in a song. It's never taught as a seminar. This is because while cats never say, I must be God with a capital G, what they do say is, it's all about me, or it's all about us. God did all of this for us. Life is about us. I must be what God not only died for, but lives for too. Obedience, glory, and blessings. Now, in order to understand how dog and cat theologies differ, you need to understand that both cats and dogs want obedience in their lives, but in different ways. Dogs learn to obey their masters. Cats want their masters to obey them. As the joke goes, dogs have masters, but cats have staff. Theologically, dogs want to obey God, but cats want God to obey them. Deverne Fromke, in his excellent book, Under Full Stature, says it this way, Today we are reaping a harvest of man-centered conversions because we are more concerned for man than for God. We are more interested in God serving man than man serving God. You can see this attitude reflected in cats' lives. The focus is on their lives, their needs, and their wants. Their prayers contain a lot of me's and my's. We'll address this more in later chapters. In Praying Like Jesus, James Mullahan writes, In December, I address my request to Santa Claus. The rest of the year, I petition God. My real concern is how to get God to give me what I want. My desire is to manipulate God rather than to know Him. Prayer is about me. Bless me. Protect me. Take care of me. Martin Luther, a man used by God to spark the greatest reformation in the Christian history, said, The essence of sin is that man seeks his own in everything, even in God. Yes, cats are in it for themselves, and they would never say it. But if someone or something could give them a better life than following Christ, they would seriously consider it. Why? For cats, life is primarily not about God. It's about them. Cats are into Christianity far more for what they can get out of it than the opportunity to radiate the glory of the kingdom of heaven. Dogs say, no, it's about God's glory. And they learn from Paul in Romans. In Romans chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, Paul speaks about Christ's death. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that... Stop right there. Now, note what is happening here. He is, pro he is proclaiming the reason why Christ came to the earth, to live a perfect life and die a painful death. This is an important key. What is the reason? He says, So that the Gentiles... Odds are that if you're reading this book, you're a Gentile's. Now, note what it does not say, so that the Gentiles might not go to hell. Wrong. That's not what the text says, but what a perfect place for Paul to have said it. If that's not what Paul said, then what did he say? He said, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. 
All of us are saved for a reason, so that we might glorify God for His mercy. There is a purpose to our salvation, and that purpose is not just about escaping hell. Men and women, Christianity is not primarily about avoiding hell. Christianity is about glorifying God. If it were about us, cats are missing the forest because they are so focused on the trees. They are so focused on the day-to-day glimpses of creation that they are missing the big picture. Think about it. If you were God and you were going to create an environment for humanity, wouldn't you design everything for them? But when we look around, we see it's not designed for us. It's designed for God, for by him and through. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He shares it with us, but it's for him. If it were about us, why did God create three quarters of the earth to be covered with water? I mean, think about it. We humans can't even exist on three quarters of the earth's surface. If God made this world for us, wasn't it rather dumb to make it in such a way that we can't even exist on three quarters of the earth? God wasn't dumb. It's not for us. It's for him. And what about everything in the water? That's for him too. That's why when you pull a swordfish out of the water, its colors are bright and brilliant and beautiful, but they last only 30 seconds because the sun fades them away. The beauty of a swordfish was designed to be seen by God in the water, not by us. Its beauty is for God. If it were about us, why are there sounds our ears can't hear, but dogs' ears can hear them? If this life and creation were all about us, why would God have done that? Why did God create the eagle to have better eyesight than us? That doesn't seem fair. Why can a baby horse walk at birth, but we humans take nine months just to learn how to crawl? Didn't God know we had places to go, people to see, and things to do? I'm still trying to catch up. And why do our bodies wear out? Why did God design us to be completely dependent on others when we start out, to reach our prime somewhere in the middle years, and then to have our bodies and our minds wear out the older we get? Why did God create us to sleep? Did you know the giraffe sleeps only five minutes at a time, totaling less than two hours a day? God could have created us like that, but he did not. He chose to have us spend eight hours a day horizontal, conked out, oblivious to the rest of the world. What a waste of time for us doers. And why are there galaxies we can't even see? Come on, God. That wasn't too smart if it's all about us. And why can't we change our appearance like the chameleon? Why can't we say, I want to look African-American today. I want to look Asian today. I want to look Caucasian. I want to look Latino. Or, Lord, I just want more hair. God created it just the way he likes it because it's not about us. It's about him. And he does it all because it pleases him. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and for your pleasure they were created and have their being. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Glimpses in Revelation. In John's glimpse of heaven in Revelation 4, we learn something very humbling, yet challenging, and freeing. John is seeing the four living creatures giving glory to God in verse 8. They cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8. No reference to humans. In fact, none at all. Why don't these living creatures in Revelation mention us? The answer is simple. They are so caught up in the glory and the wonder of God that nothing else matters. It is all about God and His wonderful majesty. 
Why would they even care if we exist? When the elders see this happening, they join in. Notice what they say. Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That phrase, by your will they exist and were created, can just as easily be translated, for your pleasure they were created and have their being. Everything that God created, He created for His pleasure. You know what that means? It means the following. Dogs hear sounds our ears can't hear because it pleases Him. The majority of the earth is covered with water because it brings pleasure to the Creator. Eagles have better eyesight than humans because it puts a smile on God's face. The baby horse walks at birth while baby humans can't even crawl for nine months because God wants it that way. Our bodies wear out because it forces us to put our hope in God, the only one who is worthy of glory. We sleep to remind us that we are not God, who neither slumbers nor sleeps. The galaxies exist in awesome splendor to bring pleasure to the one who created them all and has each morning star named. We can't change our appearance because if we could, we would be so caught up in ourselves, we would totally forget about the one who is worthy of glory and honor and praise. Men and women, life is not about us. It is about God.